Welcome to Penny Talks, brought to you thanks to Seed Golf, who deliver you affordable tour performance. Same performance, half the price. Check them out today at www.seedgolf.com and try them out. Thank you for pressing play. On today's show, we have former Ladies European Tour player Hazel Kavanagh, now of Impact Golf in Leperstown. But firstly, as Gabe Byrne used to say, roll it there, Roisin. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Well, Joe Bradley, what did he get at? Pally Talks. In today's show, we have former Ladies European Tour player and now PGA teaching instructor here at Impact Golf and Leopardstown Golf Center, Hazel Cavanagh. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Paddy. No panic at all. <laughs> so, um, first things first is you were the first woman in the British Isles to win a PGA event, Professional Golf Association event in 2014. So, the Irish and Nikas Harenstam to some extent. Well, I don't know about that. But um, yeah, it was a bit of a shock at the time because I'd been playing competitive golf for years and um, it was a two-day uh, yeah, two event down in Arklow and I shot four over the first round. The weather was horrific. The second round, I didn't really want to go out. I'd sort of, I'd been struggling with my game and I just went out that day and I had something like 23 putts, 24 putts. I shot five under and won it by one. You win a lot of events with 24 putts. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first. So what was the feedback on from being from being a lady winning traditionally a, a men's kind of orientated event? It was, it was a real mixed bag. Um, some of the guys were absolutely over the moon. They couldn't have been happier. And then there was a lot who, they used to say hello to me at, at programs and stuff and they wouldn't even look at me. So there's a, a small bit of a backlash from it, which I found quite strange. Um, and it's particularly, I played a Damien Mooney on the first round when the weather was bad. And um, he was really good to play with because I'd never played with him before. And I knew like what a good ball striker he was. So it was actually really, really enjoyed that day. Um, but afterwards, a couple of weeks afterwards, he was, he was saying to me the amount of people, guys coming up to him, asking him, you know, or T's too far forward was this. And he was like, no, he said, sure, two of the par fours, she couldn't reach in two. So it was nice to get him on my side. And um, it was it was just so interesting how the feedback was just completely mixed. That's interesting because even like me growing up and in the Hinge, they're very, like we don't even call them the ladies tees, they're the forward tees, yeah. which is a bit of a thing yeah. in, in yeah. some people online. So like, I don't like, really understand that context mm-hmm. or like, of, of attitude towards, but the law was one or two, I suppose. Oh yeah, sure. I guess get it in most weeks anyway. So today on this show, I'd like to get into it, say, the background, how I got into the game, because uh, people who tend to listen to the show, I look at the insights through the day, they're generally people who are following me on social media, the millions that they are. They are. Um, <laughs> they're generally, they're, they're, they're young kids, both girls and boys, 15 to 24, the odd 50-year-old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> name. But so a lot of it's maybe speaking to like yourself or Colin Moriarty or Gary Hurley, like their journey through the amateur ranks and, and then turning pro because of might 
it might help someone recognise the outline that standard now or it might give them a couple of steps to go on for mm. our thing to focus on. So what was it like growing up amateur golf for yourself? Um it was great fun. I did I started quite late in comparison to what they're starting now. So I started at about eleven or twelve. Um, I spent my first two years up until probably two or three years up in Stackstown. And that's where my parents are members and my brother. Um, and there's a great big bunch of, we were all around the same age. There was myself, Tara Gorby, and McCormick, there was Porter Carrington. So we all played a lot. There's loads of junior competitions. I wasn't too fond of practicing, so I used to just play a lot. So I used to, during the summer, I went up most days. My dad dropped me up, I'd walk back home. And so I had a lot of pals at the time who uh, actually ran a flood, his older brother Kit. We all played together couple of times a week and then that's what got me interested in it having friends and having a laugh and then all of a sudden I started to play well and win a few junior competitions and then there's no real room for me in the ladies section up there so then I moved to Grange when I was about 15 or 16 and they had a senior cup team and they had loads of single figure ladies Mary Gary, Trace O'Reilly, Sheena, Brian Kenny and um and I just absolutely loved it down there, and that was sort of the transition. You won a couple of big stroke events as well on the way. So yeah. between being a scratch club golfer, yeah, and would say representing your country, yeah, what was that journey like? As in winning. As in winning the Irish Lady Stroke Play in ninety four, ninety eight, yeah, being selected for the Belliano Trophy in ninety five, yeah, that whole experience. That was, I was so focused, I spent, I was working um, in an architect's office, I did a secretarial course after school, like a marketing secretarial thing, but I was so focused, I was playing like under 18 for Ireland, under 21, and then became senior international, but when the Curtis Cup was on in Killarney in 2000, or in 96, I was absolutely obsessed with getting on that team. And I got to the semi-final of the British Amateur in Portrush in 95. And I'd won the Irish Stroke Play. I'd won a few scratch cups. And I was on the panel for the Curtis Cup. That is when it all went pear-shaped for me. I, we had a practice match down in Killarney. In the Bagliano, I partnered Eileen Rose Power, which is McDade at the time, in the Bagliano. So the two of us were on the GB&I team against, that, um, against Europe. And then... That winter, we did practice match. There was 12 on the Curtis Cup panel. In the winter of 95, then January 96, seems so long ago now, we did practice match against the men, and I was beaten on the 11th. Okay. And that was, that was the end of it. That was the end of Curtis Cup? Yeah. Dream then? Yeah, yeah, that was it, over. So, uh, we played against Sugar, I think it was. Um, it's a good carry name now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it? Was it Daniel's? It was, I think it was Daniel, yeah, because God, it's so long ago now. And I remember he felt so bad, but I, he was like, well, I just say, you know, he, I beat you on the 15th or 16th, and I was like, no, you can't. <laughs> he was so nice. Um, so I didn't make the Curtis Cup team. There's no Irish on it that year, actually. And then I had a mare for a couple of years, like an absolute nightmare. Okay. So that was hard. And then the next step was turn pro in 2002. So between... Mm-hmm. 96 and 2002 was a good span of time. Yeah. So you had a job, I'm assuming? Or yeah. Like yeah, it worked. I was sort of working um, and then um, I was playing full-time amateur golf as well. Okay, and the but decision to turn pro, what was the competitive event then? So 
So you're um, working away. What level did you get to, either mentally or, or game level? Did you say, okay, I'm going to go for this? So between about 96, 97, I was, I was playing off plus two or plus three, whatever I was off. I was still got picked for Leinster teams and Irish teams apart from one year. But some of my close pals, like I had great friends, like Yvonne Cassidy and Aidy Rogers and stuff like that, um, they used to like me, call me Joe 90, because I literally, I couldn't, actually couldn't hit a golf ball. It was complete mental breakdown. Okay. That lasted about two years. I tried absolutely everything and it was torture. And even like when I meet people, it was like as if somebody died, they'd come up to me and they're like, hi Hazel, and like, it's like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm fine, I'm just playing like brutal golf at the moment. But you know what I mean? That was a hard one. But then about two years after that, I started to play well and then I was home internationals. And my last home internationals was 2001. And I was playing well then. And then I said, I might as well. I was a bit late turning pro, but I thought if I didn't go to tour school that year, I was never going to go. And you made it. First I goal. I made it because I, that summer, I was in Europe on holiday. And I was in um, a place called Cran, Cran in Switzerland. And I was talking to this guy was in our group and he was friends with a guy called Scotchy, John Graham, who was caddying for Lee Westwood at the time. And he was like, oh, you're a golfer. And I said, yeah. And he said, you, you know, you turn pro. And I said, I'm going to tour school in October. So I got chatting to him and he said, if, if he had the week off, he'd caddy for me. So he did. I don't think Lee Westwood definitely wasn't playing that week. So he came down to Portugal and he caddied for me and it was just eye-opening how brilliant he was. In and what I, way? So what, what was different between... Because he's a professional, like the professional caddies are, it's just, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to think. You don't have to, he makes the decisions. He does the yardages. Like I've had some nightmares with caddies, but he was absolutely top class. Like he'd caddied in ma- majors and British Opens and he'd won tournaments. So he was so calm or uh, it was just unbelievable. Like to get it first go was amazing. Yeah, I suppose we saw the importance of the caddy as well when Shane Lowry was making comments yeah, about Bob a couple of weeks ago yeah. about Shane, like, Shane was on like the sixth and seventh hole going, I can't stop thinking yeah, about Jared Shaw and Bob are going, all the way down Shane. Yeah, well, you need something like that. Yeah, yeah, which is Brilliant. Good. Eight, ten years on the European tour. Yep. But no sponsor. So, how did you get through that in terms of financing the amount of travel and tournament fees, etc.? Um, it was really difficult, I think. So, I was. I got my card and then I got some sponsorship from Team Ireland so without that Porico Higgin who's a member in Grange he sort of started that up I think and he was very involved in it and he was t- pro women's golf pro pros he was an unbelievable influence so without that sponsorship that was covered part of it but I was working in Spawell at the time so I worked full time and the weeks off I wasn't playing so I could have been if I had two weeks off I had two weeks two weeks of teaching. If I flew out on a Tuesday, I'd teach all day Monday, Monday night. So I had a couple of years of 24-7 golf. So no real no, off switch? No, there was nothing. And people kept telling me, you're going to burn out, you're going to, you don't have the energy to play golf, you won't do well. And I was like, yeah, but at least I can, I can fund it. And I thought that the tour life won't last. So instead of, when I look back now, it's a big regret whether I should have just put a full time into the tour. 
um, because I was teeing it up against 126 girls every week and I think I was the only one who had basically a full-time job as well so that was kind of hard. I only imagine so. Yeah. How would you compare that to the likes of girls and ladies turning pro now and maybe the difference in support they would have both from Sport Ireland, Team Ireland and, and, and the environment management companies? I think it's massively different which is a good thing. Um, I when I, I was with the ILGU and I was playing for Ireland for God knows how long, from 18 till I was about, so probably about 12 or 13 years. But once you make that decision to turn pro, that's it. That's it, you're on your own. Um, Swedish, they have a federation to where they're all under the one branch. Um, I don't know what other countries, I don't know whether it's changed now, sort of out of the amateur scene. But when you're, when you make that decision to turn pro, that's it, you're on your toe ground. So it's a, it's it's a bit daunting, but it's just hard to weigh up, you know, what to do because you've no idea what to do because you've never done it before. There hasn't been like a string of ladies who turned pro and played on tour. Um, but my first year, Susie Fanagan, um, O'Brien, she's from Milltown, she got her card as well. So we sort of were travel buddies. So we sort of just went along together and winged it really. So for. The current crop of, of ladies, I see from scrolling through Instagram or, or trying yeah. to keep, keep in tune with the media in terms, because that's the side of the game I'm trying to learn more and more about. Yeah. It's not only the amateur game, but both the ladies' side as well as yeah. the men's side, with the likes of the Maguire twins and mm-hmm. pro, and Olivia Mahaffey is doing great things. Is there any advice you'd give them before they, or the Maguire's already hit the button, but yeah, like, totally. or, or, other, or yeah. other top internationals? What would be a couple of steps that they might need to look out for or they might have taken into account? I think, I think it's important, but I think they they have all that ready set up with the the performance. They've an elite performance um, program with the ILGU. I think it's more professional now, but as a full time amateur, whether they turn pro or not. But I think the big thing is is either having somebody to travel with or um, a really good caddy. It's I couldn't justify. I would. I just couldn't justify paying for a caddy like week in week out. It was. It was it's just too expensive when I was working to try and fund it and then trying to you know pay for caddy as well but um, I think they're, they're they know they know a lot more now than I did whatever 18 years ago <laughs> Co- couple, years. So couple years ago yeah. um, if you're getting out of this interview now <laughs> yeah. this is your life yeah. um, so 2010-11 is she turned to teaching well turned into teaching full time I was in Spawell, um, the Kennedys, I got a phone call from John Kennedy asking me would I like to teach there. So I was like, oh my God, I couldn't get a better place. At the time, I didn't have anywhere to go. I started working there and then I was teaching for five or six years there, basically full time on and off tour. Because I started in 2002 in the Asian tour in January and then just kept going the whole year. But obviously in between I was in Spalwell teaching. And then Carr took over the range. They leased the range then from NAMA or somebody. And then um, I was advised to do my PGA degree. Yes. Which I didn't know would it make any difference to my life. Because I was still teaching and I still loved it. And I still had a client base, a very loyal client base. who sort of stuck with me when I was playing on tour. I did my PGA degree. And my first, that was 2012, I arrived over in the Belfry and on the same flight there was Noel Fox and Gary Murphy. Not a bad flight to be on. <laughs> yeah, so 
it was all a bit strange because I know them years and um, it was just timing that we all we're all a lot older than all the 19 year old Ian Poulter wannabes sitting in the classroom <laughs> day one but it was great having them there that made a massive difference so how would you I won't say rate one but I would say rate it in comparison you were teaching with years and years and years yeah. so what difference did making was doing the PGA versus continuing on as, as you are um, well I did I learned a lot um, there's a lot more to it than just teaching there's running a business there's um, biomechanics there's custom fitting which I had a clue about but the only disadvantage I had an advantage where I didn't have to work in a pro shop I didn't have to be attached to a club, but yet I had to, in an exam, I had to build a three iron, which I'd never put a grip on before. So okay. I was like, are you having a laugh? I didn't have a clue. I mean, where somebody turning pro now and they go into the system and they work in a pro shop and they're trained by the pro and they're, you know, they're putting on grips daily where I'm going into an exam going, Jesus, white spirits, what do I do here? So I had to do a bit of cramming for that. Yeah. And then I had to custom fit somebody. So I passed it all. But that's the only thing that would I have more experience business-wise in a shop or working for a club pro? I don't know. I come here to, to Leprosnown a lot. I don't yeah. walk over the road. It's always busy. Yeah. Like, I might need to go for lunch. Hopefully my manager is listening to this. Yeah. A short a lunch. Balls. Short lunch. It's always busy. And I would say, roughly guesstimating in a very country way, that's like 90% ladies here, mm. which is fantastic. And something I don't see anywhere else, any other range. Mm. So what's the what's the draw here? Ladies societies, mm. Monday to Sunday. There's four societies, seven days a week. It suits working women at the weekend, it suits uh, mums, it suits retired people. It's actually brilliant. So each society has their own lady captain, their own committee. They run separately. It's a great buzz. It's unbelievable. Brilliant. I yeah. looked at a couple of stats of the game in general. This is from 2018. is that 43% of the Irish population participate in sport once a week. Yeah. Golf participation is up 2.5%, right? Yeah. But more specifically, ladies participating has increased uh, about 30% yeah. over that three year from 2015 to 18. But you're on, let's say, the grassroots side. You're on the cold base of it. Yeah. So it's not just high level ILGU or yeah, GY yeah. stats going that it is great for the game but mm. do you see it here that the, there's a bigger interest in the game over the last three, four, five years? I, for females or for in general? In, in general and, and more so for ladies after the, after the fact. Yeah I think um, I think it's become a lot more social for the 20 somethings I think work has uh, we do a lot of corporate stuff here um, and the dynamics, the age profile is coming down now to late 20s, early 20s, 30s. Interesting, um, 30s, that's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we've KPMG, PwC, Salesforce. We have a lot of corporate groups going through at the moment. And the drive for the companies to get their staff involved in golf for corporate days, for client entertainment, for their own health benefits or whatever it is, it's just becoming younger and younger. And I think they're really enjoying the the chance to be able to hit balls, learn the game, but it's just, where do they go after? That's the thing I'd to. i love to sit down and work out, where do they go? That's a good point because I spoke with, 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 with the show with Colin um, a 
couple of episodes ago and also in general at work yeah. is that they love to come up to places like Leopard Sound with the full range here. You, yeah. you guys an impact for the lessons. Here they've um, encore there's nine holes here. Or eighteen, eighteen. Um I need to go and discover the second yeah. night. Um, but there's <laughs> also a um, full weather shark game area as well. Yeah. So for me it's perfect. So there's everything you know, I can go for lessons, I can go for the shark game. And go play. And, and go play. And when I was getting to the point is, like you said there, that dynamic or that uh, demographic of person. Yeah. Where did they go next? Like even um, lads and ladies after we came here for Uber lessons, they're like, oh, I don't know where to go now. Yeah. Club-wise, and a few have applied, and it's actually quite difficult to get into clubs in terms of, like a lot of people have moved up from the west of Ireland, mm-hmm. like myself. Yeah. They don't know anyone. Yeah. They don't. They don't have referee, referee yeah. or references from yeah, yeah. members to get in. So, yeah. how can clubs address that? I think clubs have to sit down and work out a structure fee for getting the twenty somethings in. I think they have to do a deal. I think it has to be over a few years because they'll be the lifeblood of the club in 20, 10, 15, 20 years time. My big thing is after I get a group for a lesson is that I'm trying to work out a sort of a process at the moment that I can create like a corporate golf society. That's my big thing at the moment. Once you can, st- once they have a society, because the natural progression from a society is into a golf club. But I think if they had a year or two playing against other companies, create a league, a bit of a power league, mixed as well, I think that's the way forward over the next six months for us at Impact to create something like that to get it going. You're giving me loads of ideas now. <laughs> <laughs> so we can take it off yeah, after this. Rob my idea. Um, a big thing I've seen this year in general across sport and the media is the 20 by 20. Yes. So from, from me looking out, I could see the likes of yourself, Marion Reardon, Rebecca Codd, the, the Maguire sisters, Paula Grant, Libby Mahaffey, all as identified. But yeah like role models in the ladies game to look up to for you know anyone who wants to pick up a club or anyone who mm. wants to learn a bit more about the game but it is just about visibility into that there are role models like yourselves out there mm. and again have you have you seen that in motion do you think it's working in terms of i definitely think uh, social media i think cgi have done a great job in doing that i think their marketing campaign is brilliant I've got a lot more girls who ring me for individual lessons who are daughters of people I teach who uh, have boyfriends who are in the game, who have brothers in the game and I've even got girls who play who they're now getting their boyfriends into the game so I think it's a whole relationship between it being out there, social media and the golf clubs. I think it's great. That's brilliant. I did read the past that you you try and advise every golfer, both men and people, to play in as many programs with yourselves as possible. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think a lot of people know about them. I'm big into golf and big into yeah. trying to find out can I play in a pro am. I'm not yeah. talking I show up in pro am. I might get in yeah. next year. I'm, there's a why not? I don't mind if you come to your program. Sales first checkbook. Come to lessons first. Yeah. But there's programs every week, right? Yeah. And and a lot of people know about them. So yeah. that's the PGA the Professional Graph Association of Ireland mm. network. So can you tell me a bit more about what happens week to week on that rota? So week to week there's was two programs last week, could have been three, I played in two. So basically the golf club have a pro am and they sell teams. So you don't have to be a member to get a team. You just have to 
pay, pay the money. I would encourage some of my customers who'd say, God, I'd love a game of golf with you. And I'd say, well, you should think about playing in a pro-am. And then a lot of girls who I've become friends with, I've met them in pro-ams. Especially if I've been teaching somebody for a few years, it's nice to see them in competition. Um, I had a lady last week I invited out from Milltown um, to play in Delgany. And, and we get on great in the lessons and she's fine, but she's really nervous. And I was like, why are you so nervous for me? And she goes, because I'm playing in a pro-am. And I was like, yeah, it was just, it's a team event, two scores to count like you would normally. Um, but stuff like that is great fun because you can see your clients on the course and you know, you can help them and aim them and, you know, give them a good day out and then you get a nice dinner afterwards and it's very professionally run and uh, the setup is good, the scoreboard, so it looks good. I, I played in a couple and they're brilliant. Yeah. And while you might be nervous, nervous aiming in the first heat, so yeah, after, once you get away from yeah. the clubhouse, you can calm yeah. down. But it's great when you go back then and, you, and you're playing in a ladies' captain's prize or a captain's prize, like, oh, I'm sure I was way more stressed than PGA. I know, yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. It's but all relative. It's like... The Ryder Cup for some is like a 36 handicapper playing the Challenge Cup. It's all the same. It's the same feeling. So Ladies European Tour, and this is kind of, we should try and learn more about it. Everybody listen to this in terms of, I see it as way more comparable or realistic for my game to reach that level yeah. in terms of watching that tour more. And mm. um, So the likes of Jin Young Ko won the Evening Championship a couple weeks ago. And when I mean comparable, her average driving distance through the week was 248 yards. Yeah. I carry the ball 254 yards, right? So, I mean, it's more comparable than looking at Roy McIlroy 360 yeah. yards, right? Yeah. So, is there any other comparisons like that, that that the people of Ireland or people in general should be tuning into ladies' golf more, that it is more realistic and achievable for their own game? It's, it's, it's hard, because when I was on tour, there was 30-odd tournaments a year. So we had an Irish Open in Portmarnock Links, we had an Irish Open in Clean. The crowds are unbelievable. I think people related to the the girls on tour. They it, Sky Sports had tournaments on every week because it was televised every week. Um, but because the European tour is on a bit of a downward track at the moment, um, I think we need to publicise more female competitions and what they're shooting and um, more stats. Um, because I know a lot of people would always look up my results or they'd come and watch me in a tournament. I'd, a couple that I uh, taught in Spowell and they um, they came over to Spain to watch me play in a tournament. But there's not enough coverage of ladies golf, I think, for people to relate to at the moment. That's okay. the problem. Okay, but we're, we're trying to spread the news, even <laughs> do a few, uh, like do a few uh, previews on the show, we might get you in a bit more. Yeah. And discuss a few tournaments upcoming. Yeah. Everyone who's been on the show is subject to a Spanish Inquisition. Quick fire QA. Oh no. Right? So, um, unlike Colin Moriarty, took a year and a day to figure out some of the questions, and um, we get stuck into it, right? Yeah. So, what would your walk on song be? My walk on song? I'm not really, I don't really go to concerts, I'm not really into music, I don't think I've ever bought a CD. Get Busy by Sean Paul. We'll find that one. <laughs> Gym or pizza? Neither. Neither. What would you be? Neither. Neither. Uh, hat, visor or bucket? Or what? Hat, visor or bucket? Mm, visor. Happy Gilmore or Tim Cup? Happy Gilmore. Guinness or gin and tonic? Guinness. Brilliant. Lynch or Port Manor? Uh, I played Port Manor last Thursday, but I say Lynch. <laughs> Walk or cart? Walk. 
Will the Masters or win the Open when days are locked in, bro? Masters. Would you rather drive it like Dustin Johnson or drive it like Zach Johnson? Dustin. Instagram or Twitter? I'm new to Instagram, so I'll go to Twitter. I'm learning about Instagram. <laughs> play or practice? I'll play. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thanks for joining the show. Not at all. You're welcome. insight into the, the life of Hazel Cabin. No worries. And we look forward to getting you on in the future. Perfect. To close out each show, I have a segment for all of you, the listeners. So I posted a question this week on at Paddy Golf on Instagram and Twitter. So find me there and answer some questions coming up in the next few weeks. This week's question was, what is your favorite golfing memory? Thanks a million to all those who got involved. I picked my favorite few. At El Tolan 2000. How's it going, Liam? Uh, his favorite golfing memory was watching Harrington winning his first Open. Liam has never been so nervous himself. At Keelan Mack. How's it going, Keelan? Hope all is well in New Jersey. Uh, his favorite one was watching Shane Lowry win the Irish Open in bad trade in 2009. Up until the other Sunday in Portrush. Anyway. At Keelan underscore Scully 2812. My President's Prize win. So that's Keelan's President's Prize win, not mine. Um, I've never won one. Um, but yeah, having to make a six-footer for power on 18 and watching it roll in. Magical. Great stuff, Keelan. POC3150. That's a fellow Podrick. How are you going, Podrick? Says that watching Tiger's trip on the 16th at the Masters. I don't think many people will forget that one for decades and centuries to come. At Matt Holbrook 86 his favourite golfing memory was playing the old course at St Andrews for his 30th with a couple of pals. The history it was pure links and stunning scenery. I can attest to that. I played it a couple of years ago with my buddy, John Skerritt. Uh, truly, yes, truly pure links. Thanks, folks, for getting involved. Thank you all for listening. Hit the show a follow, rate and review it if that's your style. Most of all, please share the show with your family and friends. We have hit over a thousand downloads in the first six episodes. So thank you all so much for your support. Again, thanks for pressing play. Until we tee up again soon, I'm Paddy. 